We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. We're going to deal with 15 and 16 right now. Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. And again, we're in our series, um, the Acts of the Apostles, the story after the cross. A lot of times people think that we don't walk in that power um, anymore and it only was with the apostles in the Bible times, but that's when it was birthed. That's when the Holy Spirit was able to be released into everyone. And so the same exploits they did, you should be able to do greater because Zeta said you would do even greater exploits than he did. So let's begin to walk in our authority. Amen. Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16 read, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. And to the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Lord, I ask for your power, your grace to be upon me as I bring the word for you. Lord, I ask for you right now in the name of Jesus to reduce me and increase you so that they may see your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. As you take your seat, I want to speak to you from the subject. I want to speak to you from the subject. The significance of nobody. The significance of, of nobody. You know, everybody want to be somebody. But the thing about it is, even if you are nobody, God can make you somebody. But you are already somebody anyway. But really, when we talk about somebody and nobody, it's like, does somebody know that person more than other people may know other type people? But anyway, I just want to let you know that you are somebody, and God want to use you significantly. We're going to learn why and how in this particular text. Again, we're in the book of Acts. Today, we're going to learn about the effect of what the Lord can do with just one man, a man he chooses a murderer, a man who had small, some small notoriety, but in the grand scheme of things, he was just a nobody. In some ways, he was just like most of us, some education, some influence, but nothing really special until God got a hold of him, and he used this man to turn the world upside down. Dive with me into Acts chapter 9, where we are going to meet this man, a man who murdered Jewish Christians and put fear into the hearts of the disciples because of his zeal to stamp them out. They still feared even after he came to Christ. He was truly a scary man, but we almost never think of him in that way because of the radical and drastic change God did in him. Let me, let's, let's, let's go ahead and read Acts chapter uh, 9, 1, 9 through, 1, through, through 19. And I'm, y'all can stay right there, but I'm going to just read it because it's really telling the whole story anyway. Since so me telling the story, it's right here. I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> I'm going to read y'all a, a bedtime story in the morning. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. 
he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here uh, with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Are you asking me to do this? For real? That's the Maxwell version. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Man, can you imagine that experience that Saul had? Here he was hunting down the Jews who thought the Messiah was Jesus of Nazareth, having them in prison, stoned like Stephen and murdered, and now he comes face to face with the risen Christ and realizes he's wrong. Can I tell you something? Some people in the next cubicle been messing with you. Oh, come on, Tommy. Somebody been bad-mouthing you. Somebody been talking about you. But all of a sudden, God going to show them who they messing with. I just don't want to talk to somebody right now. Every now and then, God allows people to do some crazy things to you to make sure he can show them who he is. The Bible says he chastises those who he loves, but who does, he don't have a chance to mess with those who don't call on his name. But every now and then, when they touch you, he touched them. And I need to tell somebody right now, some folk been in your life that have been talking about you, that have been putting you down. You thought they was on your side, but God is about to reveal to you what's going on, and he's about to convict them, and they're going to start telling you exactly what they've been doing to you. I'm prophesying to you right now in the name of Jesus, God is about to shake some folk up the same way he shook up Saul. Oh, boy, everybody that's smiling in your face don't like you. 
I'm just trying to talk to somebody. I know I usually preach like this at 11 o'clock and give y'all my Joe Olstein kind of, but I, I need to talk to somebody in here at 8 o'clock right now that's been going through some stuff and wondering why stuff been going on because you got some covert folk in your camp that's been trying to sabotage your life and all of a sudden God going to show you who they are. Do you see that Paul tried to make it in Damascus and got knocked off his horse? Can I tell you something? Some people have been walking in people's lives causing disarray, but when they come to the Damascus anointing in your life, they can't get all the way through. Let me get back to my sermon. Yeah. He's been wrong, not, not mistaken, but flat out wrong. Jesus is the Messiah who's risen from the dead, and he's called you out for everything you've done against him. And just to be sure you get the message, he blinded him for three days. Oh, my goodness. Everything Saul thought he knew and believed, at least initially, in these three days was wrong. See, that's why you got to forgive folk. Because some folk think they're doing the right thing. That's why Stephen said, forgive them. And Jesus said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Some folk just crazy. Yeah, see, we, we want to act like some people ain't crazy. See, the, the world has become in such, such disarray and, 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 and so soft in certain aspects that we just don't want to call some things out like they are. Some folk crazy. Some folk demented and will try to destroy you and think they're doing the right thing. That's why when God deal with them, ain't no sense in you beating on them. God already took care of it. You need to wash your hands up and forgive them and walk on about your business and just say, I thank God for revealing to me who my enemy is. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to help them, man. This dude was reckless. He was killing the Jews. He was mixed up on so many levels. I, I mean, this dude had done all this stuff, and now he came to Jesus and radically changed. This stuff will make Freud have a meltdown analyzing him. Saul was a mess. He was spiritually concussed, and he had to think about it for three long, lonely days. I doubt that any of us have ever been in his shoes so wrong on so many levels that it's hard to phantom responsible for murdering innocent people. Think of that. It's like Osama bin Laden has been beheading Christians and then has a vision of Jesus Christ and overnight becomes the Billy Graham evangelizing the entire Muslim world. That's how that is. That's, that's what he was. He was killing folk and now he came to Jesus. I'm sure they were sighing out him like, Ananias, you sure you heard God? And you done healed me. Man, don't no, no, man, you can't come watch a football game with me, man. You, I, you, you, man, you sure you heard God? You, anyway. How do you treat somebody like that? Who've been murdering your mom and dads, and all of a sudden they become a Christian? Oh God, you know how church folk do. Church folk don't want to help somebody with a short skirt on. Oh, ain't no way in the world Paul would have survived in this church. Huh? <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, oh, they, they used to puff, puff, pass. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. I heard they, uh-huh, I seen them drink two bottles of beer. They can't come in here. This man murdered people. 
This man was on the way to come kill the same folk that released him. Can I tell you something? You better do what God tell you to do and stop holding grudges because God will have you bless your enemy so he can get a blessing to you. Look at here. He healed him. Ananias tells him about Jesus and heals him. This is the stuff people have nervous breakdowns over. Massive delusions that up in your world are complete and utter breaking point for the hardest criminal. You are face to face with God and you've been killing the ones he loved. Can I tell you something? Stop worrying about your enemies. Because when God deals with them, he going to deal with them thoroughly. You don't need to do anything to them. When God begins to convict them, that's why you have to pray for your enemy and for those who despitefully use you because when you do it, it's like pouring hot coals on their head. Either they will get purified or God will burn them out of your life. God will do whatever he needs to do to protect you. You do not need to protect yourself. You just need to get in your prayer closet. Yeah, 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 don't hear me. He, he, he was killing folk recklessly. And now, what if this happened to you? What if God chose you to be his instrument? Crazy? Really? Why not? Saul, a total nobody like you or me, who God raised up to do something significant for him, probably thought the same thing. Now consider Saul's wild experience on the road and tell me it's still crazy to say that any one of us could be chosen too. Yeah, you wild out in college, but hopefully you didn't kill a whole bunch of people. Hopefully you didn't kill nobody, but Yeah, you, 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 you used to get drunk. Yeah, you, you used to get high and out of control. Yeah, you done cussed some folk out. But I'm sure you weren't living like Paul when he was Saul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't know. Some of y'all quiet. I don't know. <laughs> what trusty drone at? He's some crazy folk here. I need <laughs> so, so how does God select someone insignificant like you or me or Saul? a real nobody, even a murderer. It's not far-fetched that God could have picked you. The Bible is filled with examples of nobodies who became somebodies for God. It appears that if that's God's M.O. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Moses and Daniel come to mind as big nobodies who became somebody. But the biggest nobody was just a kid, David. Look at how God picked a smelly shepherd boy. Jesse's runt son who grew up. Uh, to be king of Israel. Let me read this too. I want to tell the story. I can just read the story. 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13. Some of y'all don't read your Bible. No way. We're going to read along. The Lord said to Samuel, <laughs> how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. 
See, you know what the problem with us sometimes? We want to know the whole story before we get there. And God just want to say, if you follow this step, I'll give you the next step. Be favor over a few things, and I'll make you ruler over many things. But you are not, can't be favor over many things until you're obedient about the few things or the little things he gave you. Take the first step that he take you to take, then they take you how to take the second and third and fourth step. But the problem is you waiting on him to take you the fifth step, and you ain't took the first step yet. Samuel did what God, what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me, before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had uh, then had Shammah pass, uh, but, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? You got to be confident in God. You haven't seen seven folk and that ain't it, and you like, somebody else got to be here. There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. He ain't nobody. Samuel says, send for him. We will not sit until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing and with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Don't matter how many people reject you, baby. Don't matter how many times you've been put on the curb. It don't matter how many times people walked out your life. It doesn't matter how many times people done put you on the shelf. It don't matter how many times people have walked out of your life because when God says he chose you, he chose you. It don't matter who didn't, cho didn't choose you. It don't matter if people don't anoint you. It don't matter if people don't endorse you. It don't matter if people don't like you. It don't matter if people talk about you. It don't matter if people lie on you. It don't matter if you fail before it don't matter about all your setbacks. It don't matter about your past. It don't matter about your education. It doesn't matter about your race. It doesn't matter about your size, your color, your ethnicity. When God says, I chose you, that's who he gonna choose. Can't no devil in hell stop you. Can't no height, no depth, no principality, no former thing or latter thing. Can't nothing separate me from the love of my God. And because he chose me, It doesn't matter if you don't have any experience. Remember when I interviewed for New Beach Grove, experience, none, bowl caps. This joker don't know nothing. Don't pick him is what I saw. None. Got no experience. I don't know why they didn't call this joker up here. He said, yeah. We had to narrow down to three. We went to five, and he the fifth choice. Here I am. Huh? Going on 11 years. Here I am. No experience. If y'all get rid of me, they can't put none on the next church. 11, 
bowl count. I ain't never seen none so big in my life. <laughs> Whoever did that, I forgive you in the name of Jesus. Don't do it. I know you need a capital N, but I mean, you need a capital O, the N, and the other. So Samuel took the oil and anointed him in the presence of his brother. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Didn't nobody celebrate David? They just, he just got anointed by Samuel. And they thought Samuel must have been crazy, out of his mind, to anoint David. They still put David back there to keep the sheep. They didn't clap for him. Why do why, why you keep looking for people to clap for you? Why do you keep looking for people to cheer you on? Why do you keep looking for validation from other people? As long as God is on your side, it doesn't matter. You think they're going to love you? You, you? you sinner. Jesus didn't do nothing wrong at all his whole life. And they strung him up and stretched him high and, and stretched him wide. They put him on a cross and he didn't do nothing wrong. Anyway, but you think they're going to love you? I just, just helping you clean it up. Yeah, they ain't. So David was a kid. Nothing special, really. He had a good heart, though. But Saul was a murderer with a bad heart. Two extremes. How he going to choose? Come on, God, make up your mind. A boy with no experience with a good heart, a murderer with a bad heart. How in the world do you choose both? You said David is a man of your own heart. That's why you chose him, even though he was riding, rolling recklessly. Don't you go to no party and leave David at your house, bro. Don't you do it. <laughs> Don't you do it. I'm just saying. But David had a good heart, even though he was messed up morally. Saul was moral, but had a messed up heart. Lord have mercy. God, what's your criteria? I'm trying to put this rubric together to figure out how in the world you choosing folk. Huh? What in the world? Just about the most insignificant person in the Old Testament, David, went to kill Goliath and rose to greatness as a leader. He couldn't even hold the armor up. He ain't never used armor. Had never been to army school. Went out there with a rag and a rock and people looking at him like, you gonna die today. What is the criteria? <laughs> let's, look at, let's look at who else was confused. Let's look at 2 Samuel 7, 18 through 23. Even David was confused himself. Can I tell you something? If you're confused about how God used you, you're in the right place. If you're confused about how God is using you, you are in the right place. That was for me because I'm like, I don't know what God be doing. Help me, Lord, Jesus. I don't know what he be doing. Stuff just be falling in place and I don't know what I be doing with this campaign. So what in the world am I doing, God? Why am I out here? God wants you out in the water because he wants you to depend on him. When you are in places that you wonder how you got there, you're right where God wants you to be. 
There's no criteria God uses to choose you. He just wants you to step up. He looks for everybody. He said, many are called, few are chosen. You know who chosen? The ones who step up. He calling everybody to do something. Look at 2 Samuel 7, 18 through 23. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of this house of your servant and this decree. Sovereign Lord is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant. You know I ain't right. That's what he's really saying to me. For you know me, God. Everybody don't know all the stuff I did, but you know, sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant how great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you. As we've heard with your own, with our own ears, and who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. We all know what David did for God in the Old Testament. He was a superstar for God. And in the same way, Saul went on to be the most important figure in the New Testament, devoting his life to bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. This was a very big deal in the post-resurrection period because before Cornelius came to the faith in Acts chapter 10, all the first Christians were Jews. And all the Jews from Peter on down assumed that the gospel was strictly a Jewish message from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was their Messiah, their law, their temple, and their religion. It didn't belong to any of y'all. So when Saul believed and became known by his Gentile name, Paul, and took the message to the rest of the world, it was a very big deal, especially for most of us in this room. But it was nearly a deal breaker for the Jewish Christians. Can I tell you something? Stop looking for everybody to agree with you when you're doing what God telling you to do in your life. Huh? Now I can see if you're working for an organization and you're trying to do something for the organization. But, 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 but if God telling you to do something in your own life, stop looking for validation. Have somebody ever said, you look right at me and then say, no, you be like, I ain't see you. And you be like, why you ain't, they be like, why you ain't speak? Why you ain't speak? I ain't see you. You did see me. You look right at me. No, you look right at me. I ain't see you. Nobody can tell you what you saw with your eyes. So nobody can tell you what your vision is. If you can't see what I see when I'm looking over here, then you can't see what I see in my vision. And I'm looking over here, you don't see what I'm looking at. You don't know exactly what I'm looking at. You don't know exactly who I'm looking at right now. You can't see if I, if I need some, some, some cataracts removed or if I need some contact lenses. You don't know if the people are blurry. You don't know if I see clearly. You can't see what I see. So why do I have to convince you of the vision I have for my life? I don't. Stop letting people put you in a box. Saul 
became Paul and took the gospel to the Gentiles when Peter and everybody said, why are you taking it? David went out to fight the Goliath with a rag and a rock when everybody said, why in the world you don't have on the armor? Stop trying to be like everybody else and be yourself. So Paul changed the world. Listen to his resume in Philippians 3, 4 through 6 in the NASB version. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. I done did all this wrong, but God forgave me. Not exactly a great man of his time, like Caesar, Augustus, or Herod. Yet God chose him and made him great. Ooh, I needed that right there. Can I tell you something? Don't get uncomfortable when God makes your name great. Ooh, ooh, I'm ministering to somebody. I might need to go sit down myself and listen. Don't get shocked when God makes your name great. Because you, first of all, you, as long as you give him glory, he said he's going to exalt you. And some of us get scared when God, see, some of us not even scared of failure. Some of us scared of success. Because you're scared when you go so high, you don't want nobody to take you down. Can I tell you something? As long as you stay humble and continue to do what God tells you to do, nothing can bring you down but yourself. As long as you be humble and let God understand that he's the one that gave you the power to obtain wealth, he who began a good work and you shall finish it, give him his glory and I promise you he will take care of you. He wants to make your name great. He rules the world through you. He does not rule the world on his own. He wants to use you as the chosen vessels to take dominion in the world. So the only way he can do what he wants to do, now he can do whatever he wants to do, but he chose to use you as the chosen vessel to bring the kingdom into places where there is no light. He wants you to bring light into darkness, and he has to make you great in order to make it happen. If you serve a big God, he's going to to make you a big business. You serve a big God, He's going to give you a big name. Ooh, Lord have mercy. I'm quiet right now. I'm talking. Don't be scared of success. Don't. Don't be scared of success. These people were nobodies, but all of a sudden God exalted them out of nowhere. After he was killing folk. And don't go kill nobody. But why do you think this happened? I have to always wonder how in the world, it got to be an untold story behind the story of Saul, right? Right? I think there has to be more to it, or at least I would think that there was more anyway. I would like to think somewhere, someone who knew Saul and was also insignificant, maybe an old babysitter or a neighbor or a friend, maybe an extraordinary effort, made an extraordinary effort to pray for him. Oh, come on, somebody. I mean, really pray for him. Don't you think that somebody, something moved God to pick him out of all the Jews of Israel? We know God looked at David's heart and chose him. Something moved God to pick a murderer. How do you explain this? Help me out, Justin. Do a documentary. Go take your camera to Saul's house. Find something. 
What if there are chapters of the Bible reserved in heaven for us to read when we get there? Like Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, radio snippet, maybe some secret prayer chapters that show behind the scenes stuff, how he used people. Folks will never meet until we get to heaven who with fervent prayer shouldered the burden of all the grace we read about. Gideon, Deborah, Mary, Jonathan, Stephen, Moses. I know it's a big what if, but imagine what if. I'm not talking about heresy here. The scriptures are complete. I'm just trying to stir up your faith a little bit. I'm talking about letting your faith imagination run wild with the possibility of God's work in the behind the scenes that were influenced by prayer. Y'all do know what prayer is. You know, a lot of times we try to leave prayer out of the church. Huh? An insignificant nobody who just prayed, maybe an invalid who could do nothing at all but sit there and pray for years. Certainly someone was praying for Saul. His worldwide impact is too great not to have been prayed over. And through and around some sweet believers, somebody had to pray. I know good and well I didn't make it out of Georgia Southern without somebody praying for me. I know good and well I didn't make through all them DUIs in college without getting a ticket. I know somebody had to be praying for me. All the time I was high and drunk and driving myself home from a party, not even remember when I left, there had to be somebody praying for me. no way in heaven that I ended up right here without somebody praying for me. Somebody was praying for Saul. All of a sudden, God chose a murderer. You better find you some prayer warriors in your life. I know you got a whole bunch of people in your entourage, but you better find somebody that can get on their knees and pray. You better find some prayer warriors in your life. Ain't no way in the world. I got here without somebody praying for me. Ain't no way in the world I ain't got a DUI for somebody praying for me. Ain't no way in the world I ain't locked up because, oh, you better watch out. And I talked to somebody who know good and well if your mama and grandmother didn't pray for you, ain't no way you would have been here. Some of y'all have lived through the time where strange fruit was hanging on the trees, yet you still here. Some of y'all came through Jim Crow laws, but you still here. Some of y'all was on the back of the bus, but you still here. Some of y'all have seen people get murdered, but you still here. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody anointed you. Somebody covered you. How the old folks say somebody had you? On their mind. Somebody was praying for you. Somebody was covering you. You ain't got here by yourself. Somebody prayed for you. You ain't sent all this stuff around the world. Somebody prayed for you. Oh, you better watch out, somebody. Oh, Lord. I'm going to challenge you to consider this. Whoo. What would you do, as insignificant as you are for Jesus Christ, if you knew you could not fail? If he chose you to be an instrument, I'd like to challenge you to consider doing this, if you're up for it. Take on this challenge. Pick someone you think is insignificant and pray for them and make a big impact for Jesus.
I mean the big impact. I want you to take it upon yourself to pray for this person all the time, but not just for today or a month or a year. Pray for them for the rest of your life. Pray for them to become significant. Be that insignificant prayer person behind the insignificant soul who becomes a significant Paul for the, our generation. Oh, come on, somebody. I need you to pray for some young folk today. I need you to learn. I need you to pray for somebody who you feel is insignificant, somebody maybe you see some greatness in them that they don't see, but I need you to pray for them and cover them because prayer is what changes the world. We need to stop acting like, I know we send out stuff around the world. I know we help folk at Seaview Apartment, but at the end of the day, baby, if I don't get on my knees and pray, if we don't have missionaries that get on their knees and pray, we won't have the resources. How in the world did we make it through COVID because somebody was on their knees praying. Whoosh. You got to pray. Pray and let your imagination run wild. Zero in them. Put them in the crosshairs of your prayer life. Pray that God would bring them to him. If they do not know Jesus, grow them to be to spiritual maturity. Pray for them. Ain't nobody, can't nobody be as bad as Saul was. Nobody. They ain't out there killing Christians just because they don't believe. Paul, when he was Saul, was killing folk. Whew. It may be crazy, but I believe there's still some miracles left today. Will you accept this challenge for the rest of your life? Will you become significant yourself in a quiet, behind-the-scenes way and pray for Saul in your life to become Paul? Sure, there'll be days you might forget, but imagine what could happen if you drench someone insignificant in prayer for years and years and years. Won't you be radical today by committing to pray for someone to turn the world upside down for Jesus? My prayer is that you will, that hundreds and thousands of you would do that, who are listening even today, who are not even in the church today. Wouldn't that be something to get to heaven and meet the people uh, whose lives were changed by your prayers for this Saul to one day become Paul because of your prayer life? See, you all worry about your house here. I do worry about my house here, but I worry about my house up there. Because I don't want to get mad and jealous of Deacon Dawson's house and go ahead and burn his house down in heaven and get kicked out and been on probation. I was playing this message. But I'm just saying. When you begin to save souls and you begin to help put someone somewhere, you're stacking up your treasures in heaven. And my thing is, you need to learn how to pray for folk because at the end of the day, you still get credit for what they do because God understands that he did it because of you. There ain't no way in the world God just chose Saul out of nowhere. Somebody prayed for him. Stephen might have even prayed for him when he saw him holding the coat, when he prayed over everybody and said, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know good and well some of y'all got a job, ain't even fill out an application. You, oh, you better hear me right Right now, didn't even do right because somebody was praying for you. Somebody is the undercurrent under your life. They the wind beneath the water that causes you to rise up. Somebody praying for you. I need to hurry up and sit down. There's a story about this young man that said this young lady kept that he, he went back to his old school and he had raised hell in the school the whole time. And he went back and he saw his teacher, one of his old teachers, and a Sunday school teacher, he, 
he was like, he didn't even want to remind her who he was because he was so bad in class. And she said, he saw and said, hey, do you remember me? She said, yeah, I remember you. You were a handful. He said, yeah. She said, she said, you know, I'm a, he's an author now. He said, she said, yeah, I know. I, I watch you and I, I pray for you every day. I knew you was going to be something big. And he said, you pray for me every day, really? And he 80, so he said she had to be like 90-something. And so he was like, how in the world would you sure you pray for me every day? And she said, she said, yes, I pray for you every day. And I watched you and I knew you was going to be great because I saw something in you and I pray for you every day. And he was so, he was so Moved by it, he began to put a whole bunch of people on his list to pray for them because he understood that there's no way in the world that he was able to make it without her prayer. Oh, y'all don't hear me? Y'all don't hear me? Let me tell you something. I, I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to give it that. My, my, Miss McCluster, Lord have mercy. I don't know if she's listening or not. Green Forest. Every time when I was at Georgia Southern, she sent these Sunday school books and they get there every Friday. And I'd be like, man, I don't want to see this on Friday. You know I'm trying to go see in today. I ain't trying to look at no daggone Sunday school book. She always, every week it would come on me on Friday. Why Friday? Why not Monday? I need to be good. Help me get through the Thursday. Friday, I don't know how she did it, but it always got in my post box every Friday. And I get so mad at her when she stopped sending me this stuff. I ain't trying to see Jesus right there. <laughs> I'm trying to go to the club. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to listen to R. Kelly. <laughs> Got quiet. <laughs> I'm going to hell later. Hey, but look. <laughs> but I'm like, what? Every Friday. So I got to the point, Drake, I stopped looking. At the mailbox. I ain't going. Friday, they ain't going to the mailbox. No, I ain't going there. I ain't going. <laughs> Check my mailbox on Sunday night. <laughs> hey, I ain't checking my mailbox. I already know what's in there. But she had planted a seed in me. You know what I'm saying? She had planted a seed in me. And that's what started me changing. That's why, you know, I told I'd be telling a joke, but them true stories. And I'd be smoking weed. And I'd be like, man, you know Moses. I'd be like making jokes out of the Bible because I was like, dude, tripping. Like, dude, the, the, the tree didn't burn up if I rolled the weed and them leaves. Could I smoke forever? That's where I would be. But the Bible, because he had the Bible on my mind. And it got to the point where people didn't want to be around me because anytime I got high and drunk, all I would do was talk about Jesus. Can I talk to somebody for a minute? You got to have somebody on your mind. You can change somebody's life just by praying for them. There's no way I'd be right here if it wasn't for Miss McCluster. Ain't no way I'd be standing right here if it wasn't for my Sunday school teacher. Can I talk to the Sunday school teacher right now? You better study your word before you come teach. You better get down in your word because you have the power to change the trajectory of somebody's life. If it wasn't for my Sunday school teacher, I wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for somebody praying for me, I wouldn't be here. How do you make somebody insignificant significant? 
pray for them. Their, your prayers changes the world. Pray for your grandchildren. Don't you let people talk about them. They ain't going to be nothing. You better rebuke that. Start speaking what you want. Speak those things that be not as though they were. I need you to pray for somebody. Somebody who you think insignificant. Or somebody who thinks, or somebody who people think insignificant. Pray for them every day. Choose them right now and pray for them. Pray for them every day. Because I promise you, you're going to change their life. And you're going to be responsible for changing the world because they're going to change the world because of your prayers. Praying. I'm telling you right now, ain't no way in the world God chose Saul without somebody praying for him. God wasn't thinking about Saul. Saul, they killing fool. Somebody prayed for Saul. Somebody prayed for Maxwell. That's how he here. Don't go back to the archives of Georgia Southern. Y'all wouldn't have voted me in. I'll tell you that right now. I'm just saying. I mean, when I was doing, you got to take a lot of tests when you become a chaplain. And they could ask me, did you do this? Have you done this? Have you done this? At Georgia Southern. <laughs> At Georgia Southern. <laughs> He's like, man, so did they start asking you to do it? No, I ain't do that. I ain't did that since Georgia Southern. And my thing is, that was probably the most radical I didn't say radical, craziest time I lived in my life. But because somebody was praying for me every day, sending me Sunday school books that got there on Friday, that I just wanted to choke them at that time. <laughs> wanted to lay hands on them. Come here. Yeah. <laughs> you want to send me another book? <laughs> but no, because of her, because of mothers, my father, everybody praying for me. I'm able to be here right now. You are a product of the prayers that somebody prayed for you. The significance of a nobody is because somebody behind the scenes prayed for David. Somebody behind the scenes prayed for Paul. Somebody behind the scenes prayed for Moses. You remember when Moses People cut the foreskin of the man and threw him at the feet of God and said, don't you kill my dude. You got to have some intercessors around you. And we need some intercessors to make sure that we be able to do this ministry. I need some prayer warriors. Pray for me. I ain't ashamed to say I need prayer warriors. I need people to pray me through campaign, pray me through church, pray me through what we need to do, what we need to step, how we need to move. Pray for me as I pray for you. Now look here, is there anyone out here who wants to receive Jesus? Who needs to receive Jesus right now? You don't have a relationship with him and you know you need to have a relationship with him. You want your prayers to be more magnified and more potent because when you have Jesus, he magnifies. He magnifies the potency of your prayer life. Ooh. Because when you have Jesus, he leaves the Holy Spirit in you. And then you can do all things through who? Christ, who strengthens you.